Wow, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, and thank you, Pastor Bob, for that uh, intro. And it's true, I am a millennial if the cuff jeans and clear glasses wasn't a dead giveaway. Um, I am so happy and grateful and excited to be here with you today as we close out our series called Helping the Next Gen Win. Before I jump into this message today, first let me pause and tell you how truly grateful I am to be a part of a church that really does value the next generation. I mean, the intentionality and effort that's put into our kids' programming that so many of your kids are in right now, and the effort that's put into our student ministries programming that that exists all through the school year on Wednesday nights is absolutely phenomenal, not just because of the programming, but because of the people who put it on and who really care about it every single week. I love it. But the reason we go through all of that planning and preparation is because we really believe in the potential of the next generation. And that is just what you do when you believe in someone's potential. For instance, my wife sees all kinds of potential in me. Especially when it comes to uh, the area of home repair. Now, unfortunately for her, she'll sometimes see uh, potential in me that, let's be honest, I'll just never get there, you know? Um, because when it comes to home repair, like I know what a screwdriver is, okay? I know what one is, but I also know there are multiple kinds of screwdrivers, and if you ask me for the specific kind, 50-50 chance you're getting the wrong screwdriver, okay? When my wife got married to me, she, she didn't know everything about me, but she knew I was no chip gains. But she sees this as a great opportunity for me to really grow in my potential. So she's always giving me little projects to do around the house. A few weeks ago, she uh, bought a microwave mount to put our microwave above our oven, and I went to her and I was like, sweetie, um, I've never done this before. I don't know how to, how to install a microwave mount. And she said, she looked at me, she said, Brandon, this is a foolproof plan. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna put this to the test. My only instruction was to put the microwave mount above the oven. So got the mount, leveled it, measured it, screwed it to the wall, put the microwave on the mount. It didn't fall off the wall right away. So already I'm feeling really strong. And I'm a little bit cocky at this point, so I bring my wife in to see what I've done. And she walked in, puts both hands on her hips and goes, hmm, now if you're not married, I have done something terribly wrong at this point. (laughs) Never in the history of marriage has that signal been a good sign. So I begin to feel the tension sort of build in the room a little bit, uh, but I just wait, you know, I wait for her to to speak. And she says, Brandon, why is it so high above the oven? And I say, what do you mean? It's above the oven. I've done what you asked me to do. You say, thank you, we can move on with our day. (laughs) And she's like, no, Brandon, it's completely impractical. Like, no one could reach it. It's so high up that only you could reach it. (laughs) And at this point, my petition was feeling a little bit threatened, if I'm honest. And so I decided to push back, not not in a big way, just a gentle push. And I say, you know, that would have been super helpful to know before I screwed them out onto the wall. And it got real quiet in my kitchen super fast. And my wife was so kind, she exhibited incredible restraint. She just looked at me and said, lower it, and then walked out of the kitchen. (laughs) But see, in that moment, she was actually giving me a gift of another opportunity to really prove my potential to become a home repair expert. And so that is just what you do when you believe in someone's potential. And so if you're a coach, that's why you make plans to make sure your team wins. If you're a parent, then you do your very best to make sure that your kids are ready and prepared for the real world. And if you're a company, if you, if you run a company, if you're a part of a business, then you do your best to clarify your goals so that everyone on your team knows what you're shooting for. Because when we don't prepare people to win, they end up losing. 
And isn't it true that so many of us want someone to see potential in us and then come alongside of us, give us a plan to help reach that potential? I mean, think through your life for a moment. Who were the people that, that did that for you? I mean, maybe it was a teacher or a parent or a mentor or a friend who just stuck by you long enough to help you navigate something difficult or something great in your life. So many of us have stories of other people helping us win. And so when we think about the next generation, the question is, who are we willing to help win? Who is that? Who is our next generation? I mean, maybe it's your kids who are counting on you to guide them. Maybe it's young leaders in your company that need your experience. Or maybe it's someone that you haven't even met yet that is just waiting for you to speak words of truth and life into their life. So when we think about the next generation, we have to be wondering, who is it that we still have yet to influence? Who is it that we can help reach their full potential? Because all of us have someone to invest in. So the question is, how exactly do we help the next gen win? Well, if you're looking for a starting point for such a big question like that, thankfully, Scripture offers us multiple examples of one generation helping and supporting the next generation. One of those examples comes from the book of 2 Timothy. A guy by the name of Paul wrote a letter to his protege, Timothy. He actually wrote two letters to his protege, Timothy. And Paul, if you're not, if you're not aware, he, he traveled most of his life uh, planting churches and teaching people about Jesus. But when he got to the end of his life and the end of his ministry, he knew, he knew that it was time for him to pass along everything that he had learned so that the next generation could rise up and take their place. And that's why he wrote letters to Timothy. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna give you three ways that come from Paul's relationship with Timothy to help us understand how we can begin to help the next gen win. And the first way that we can help them is this, to remember them. Remember them. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter one of 2 Timothy. He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And the first thing we should notice here is that remembering someone is something that we do. It's not just having good intentions. It's not just having high hopes. It's actually showing someone that we care about them, that we value them. Because if you think about it, not remembering someone can communicate the exact opposite of care and value. And so basically, remembering someone is showing them that they matter to you. And I get that this can be kind of easy to overlook for many of us, mostly because we assume, right? We assume that the people in our lives already know that we love them, that we care about them. And so we overlook the need to actually remember to show them. I know that I am very guilty of this in my life, especially when my wife and I were first married. When we were first married, we were figuring out the kinks of two individuals coming under one roof. Those first few years of marriage can be kind of awkward. They certainly were for us. But the best tool that I had to show my wife that I really loved her was simply remembering whatever she told me to do, which I almost never did. (laughs) Not because I was mad at her, just because, I don't know, I was dumb. I just wouldn't remember, especially when it came to our refrigerator. Because, you see, I had a refrigerator philosophy that differed drastically from my wife's. Let me tell you about it. The philosophy was this, that the refrigerator was this giant icebox in my kitchen that was meant to cool things. That as long as the thing that needed to be chilled ended up somewhere, anywhere in that fridge, 
I was happy. I was good. My wife's philosophy was very different. She saw the refrigerator as its own ecosystem where everything had its exact and right place. And if even one thing was out of place, the whole ecosystem would collapse onto itself and our house would blow up. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think that's the case because while our house never did blow up, our marriage almost did many times over the refrigerator. And I can't tell you how many times she told me where everything was supposed to go, but it had to have been hundreds, and I never remembered. I would always just put things away wherever seemed good to me. I can remember one specific time, I took a loaf of bread and I put it in the, what is apparently the butter compartment because it fit perfectly in my defense, okay? It had a little door so you could say, oh, hello, bread, it's time to enjoy you now. Let's go make some toast. It's just a pleasant experience. So I thought, this is where it should go. Put it there, closed the little tiny door, said goodbye to the bread, closed the door to the fridge, walked away. Seconds later, my wife opens the fridge. She sees what I have done, and I feel this silence coming from the kitchen. And so I turn to look at her, and she's not looking at me. She's looking through me into my soul. And she says, in all seriousness, it's like you don't care about me at all. And no matter how I responded in that moment, there was, it was gonna be the wrong answer, okay? There was no winning for me in that moment because what I failed to see over and over again was that when I didn't remember what my wife asked me to do, it communicated to her that I didn't love her, which of course wasn't true. My wife knew deep, 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 very deep down that I loved her. <laughs> but what I was missing was just finding the willingness to realize that remembering what, what my wife asked me to do, however big or small, it showed her my love. I think when we think about the next generation, a really good place to start is finding the willingness to remember them. Finding the willingness to show them that they matter to us. And a great way to begin practically doing that is praying for them. I mean, that's why Paul says to Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So let me pause and ask you, who are you constantly praying for? Or maybe a better question is, who should you constantly be praying for? I was wrestling with that question a few months ago, and I, I recognized that I wasn't really praying for my kids all that often. I'm a relatively new dad. I have a three-year-old daughter named Olive and a six-month-old son named Sam, so my house is super quiet right now. And I was spending time with them. I was, I was in their life, I was a part of their life. But I noticed I wasn't really praying for them all that often. So I made a decision I was gonna start praying for them every day as best as I could. And I started doing that. And you know what didn't happen? I didn't become super dad. And my kids didn't become the most well-behaved, perfect kids on the planet. Because that's not what prayer does. Prayer doesn't solve our problems. Prayer pushes us into deeper relationship with God and into deeper relationship with whoever we're praying for. And the reason I know that to be true is because I begin to feel more empathy for my kids. I, I begin to notice small things that they would do throughout the day. I begin to want to encourage them more often simply because they were on my mind more of the time. So again, I ask you, who should you constantly be praying for? Maybe you're like me and it's your kids too. Or maybe it's a brother or a sister or cousin in your family. Maybe it's the young people in your neighborhood that you just wanna take more ownership of and have more influence in their lives. See, when we pray for the next generation, we're allowing God to remind us that we were once where they are now. 
and, and it creates empathy in our hearts and it, and it makes us want to show them that they matter because we all wanted to be reminded that we matter when, they were, when we were their age. See, prayer puts us in the position to rightly remember the next generation by praying for them. So the first way that we can help them win is by remembering them. And the second way that we can help them win is to empower them. And you empower someone when you stick with them through thick and thin, because there is power in numbers. There's strength in numbers. And, it, and if we can teach the, the next generation to count on us, then we will be given opportunities to empower them to go farther than they ever thought possible. About a year ago, my father-in-law, Joel, asked me to run the Twin Cities 10-mile race with him. And I have absolutely no idea why I agreed to do this. Because before that, I was not a runner, was not athletic, was not competitive. I had no other reason to do it except that I love Joel. He's my friend, I trust him. And so if he wanted to do something with me, I wanted to do something with him. And so, I don't know if you're like me, but when I agree to do something like that, I don't actually start doing the thing, like running. I start researching the thing, you know? So I started to look for, you know, all the kind of training plans I should do. Of course, they were all too difficult, ridiculous. And I started looking for all the trails that I should run, and they were all too far, too long distance. I had no, I mean, who has time to do that? Um, and then I started looking for the right kinds of shoes to wear. Of course, they were all too expensive or too specialized. I mean, I came across these shoes in my search. I mean, what, does each toe need its own compartment? Am I missing something here? I mean, people run races in these, and if you're one of those people, you're just a better human than I am, because when I got here, it felt like the running community was, be was beginning to mock me. <laughs> but after all of my research and all of my prepping, I actually showed up on race day having not run a single mile in over a month. I mean, I was completely unprepared for what I was about to do. But there I was, next to Joel, and the race started. And mile one flew by, and I was feeling so strong, I felt so good. Everyone around me was positive. I had all these endorphins. It was just a good moment. And then mile two happened, and I still felt good. In fact, so good that one of the professional race photographers got this picture for their promotionals. <laughs> That's Joel. That's me, looking happier than I have ever looked in my entire life. Not on my wedding day or when my kids were born. This is the pinnacle of my happiness. And that happiness lasted for another half a mile until I was ready to be absolutely dead. Because apparently three miles was all it took to expose my complete and utter lack of preparation for this race. I mean, I was like, do I fake an injury? Do I call an Uber to take me to the finish line? And I was, I was out of gas. I was losing pace. I was, I was, more and more people were passing me. And in the midst of all of that, I saw Joel slow down, meet me where I was at, and little by little, he empowered me to keep on going. See, what Joel did is he just kept talking to me, which kept my mind off of the pain, like the incredible pain in my lungs and in my legs. And he kept reminding me, Brandon, eventually this race is going to end, and we're gonna get medals at the end. If you play your cards right, maybe a juice box. <laughs> Listen, there's no reason to be mad about juice boxes, okay? They're just good. You just want them. It's okay. And that motivated me. So we kept going little by little until eventually we finished that race. And I have proof. Picture, again, me looking happy only because the race is over for no other reason. 
But what I admire so much about Joel is that when I was losing, my, when I was unprepared, when I was losing my pace in this race, he just slowed down, he stuck with me, and he empowered me to keep on going. You know, we see Paul doing that with Timothy too. In chapter one, again, Paul reminds Timothy of this, and he says, I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And the reason that is significant is because it exemplified not only Paul's support of Timothy and his authority, but also God's presence in Timothy's life. Paul goes on, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul wanted Timothy to know that he was with him. He wasn't going anywhere. But more importantly, Paul wanted Timothy to know that God wasn't going anywhere. And see, Paul, I think, understood that he was able to represent God's presence in Timothy's life, a physical presence in Timothy's life. And that really mattered because I believe that the next generation needs to know that God is with them. They need to know that he is their ultimate source of empowerment, that he does not give us a spirit of fear, but he empowers us to keep on going. And I really believe the best way we can teach that to the next generation is for us to stick with them the way that God sticks with us. We have the opportunity to be like God to the next generation simply by staying with them and empowering them along the way. And in many cases, what that means so we will have to slow down a bit. We'll have to make room for people who are a little bit unprepared, who don't have their lives all together. It means we'll have to sacrifice things along the way. I mean, Joel was a multiple marathon finisher by the time we ran our race together. He could have easily blown past me, but he didn't do that. Because he put a higher value on my succeeding than he did on his own success. And it's the same reason why Paul supported Timothy, so that Timothy wouldn't miss out on the power of God available to him. And so let me pause and just ask you, who do you need to slow down for? And who do you need to empower? Because some of you are at the stage in your life where your success needs to be measured by who you are helping to succeed. It's not about you anymore. It's about who you are empowering in the next generation. So who is that? Maybe it's, maybe it's your kids who need a little bit more of your time than your job does. Or maybe at your job, it's a group of young people who are trying to find their way, but need a mentor, need someone to believe in them, need someone to encourage them and empower them along the way. Maybe it's a son or a daughter-in-law that just needs to feel like they belong in this new family that they're trying to figure out? Or it's high school and middle school students that need you to be their small group leader this school year. The next generation doesn't know that the previous generation believes in them enough to slow down and empower them, then they might miss out on the power that God has for them, and they can't miss that. So the way that we can help them win is to stick with them and empower them through thick and thin. So the recap, the, the first way that we can help the next gen win is to remember them. The second is to empower them. And lastly, it's to invest in them. Because at some point along the way, 
we have to ask ourselves this crucial question when it comes to the next generation, which is how much is the next generation worth? How much are they worth? How much time and resources and risks are we willing to give to the next generation? How much effort will we put into them? Because we have to understand that investing in the next generation is an investment, meaning that it will require something from us. And one thing that it will absolutely require is intentionality. And Paul was incredibly intentional with Timothy. It's why he spent time with him. And it's why he gave him real responsibility. And what I mean by that is, in our Bibles, we have about 13 letters that were written by Paul to young developing churches. And, and these, these letters were, were Paul's way of encouraging these, these young churches in their leadership structure and conflicts in their communities, but most importantly, in their teachings and understanding about who Jesus is. And, and these letters have influenced Christianity for 2,000 years. I mean, they're important letters in our Bible. And in six of those very important 13 letters, Paul recommends Timothy as a reliable resource and authority to these young churches. And this is a huge risk if you think about it. Because what you might not know is that Paul was probably in his mid to late 40s while he was mentoring Timothy, and Timothy was probably his, in his late teens or early 20s. So Paul was essentially saying, churches, if you can trust me, then you can trust this teenager, which is crazy. And, and listen, I'll level with you. My, my job here at Eagle Brook is to speak to and plan events for high school students. And I love my job. I, I think what, what I get to do is one of the great privileges of my life. And that's no exaggeration. But when I'm planning events for high school students, like I'm barely willing to let them go to the bathroom by themselves for fear that they might burn the building down on their way there. <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about here. I'm not exaggerating. But we see Paul giving Timothy real authority a kind of authority that would make many of us a little bit nervous. Like, Paul, are you sure you wanna do that? What I'm saying is Paul put his money where, where his mouth was when it came to Timothy. He didn't just believe in him idealistically. He gave him a job to do and expected him to do it. He gave him opportunities for, for Timothy to learn and to fail. He risked a lot on Timothy because he believed that the next generation was worth investing in, no matter the cost. Paul reminds Timothy of this in chapter three. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Paul's talking about himself to Timothy there. But let me talk about this word faithful for a moment and talk to the next generation, to the young people with us today. Young people, if you've been given a job to do, if you've been given real responsibility, if someone has invested in you, then you must remain faithful. Sometimes the best thing you can do as the next generation is whatever it is that has been given to you to do. So what is that? What is that? Maybe it's the classes you're taking or the homework you have. I know that school just started for many of you. Maybe it's the job you're working, whether you like it or not, or the house you're living in, or the people you are living with. Young people, I'm telling you, if you can stay faithful with what you have in front of you right now, you will be given more opportunities in the future. And I know that you are more than capable of becoming the next generation that all of us hope you can be, but it starts with faithfulness. Now, let me talk to the people with us today that actually have the resources 
to invest in the next generation. The question for you is, will you? Will you give time, effort, responsibility, risks over to the next generation? Acknowledging that many of us would not be where we are today if it wasn't for someone else taking a risk on us. And I know that that is absolutely true for me. Countless men and women throughout my life have have given up so many things, have invested so many things into my life. And you know what? Not always in big, grand gestures either. Sometimes the ones that I remember the most are the times when people just gave me whatever they had to give in that moment. One of those times happened when I was 12 years old. When I was 12, I was invited to a summer camp, a Christian summer camp by one of my friends, and I really did not wanna go because I was having a tough year. My parents were going through a divorce. I was struggling in school. And in the midst of it all, I was just feeling really alone. And the idea of going to this camp where everyone was supposed to be happy and enjoying themselves just didn't feel like a place where I would really belong. I wonder how many of us can relate to that kind of feeling at one point or another in our lives. But thankfully, I decided to go because God was able to use it in my life in a way that I never expected. Because at this camp, every, every night, we would have a service, much like the one we're having today. There would be worship at the beginning, and there would be a message at the end. At the very last night of camp, the speaker got up to give his message, and before he gave it, he made an announcement. He said, at the end of my message tonight, I'd like to talk to a camper named Brandon Gilliam, which was my name. And I didn't know what to do about hearing my name announced in front of all of these people. But at the end of his message, I mustered up the courage and I went up front and I introduced myself. And he said, hi, Brandon, my name is Danny Middleton. And I noticed you at the beginning of this week and I think God put you on my heart. I want you to know that I have been praying for you this whole week. And I think that God has something really big in store for your future. And as he was talking to me, my heart just began to pump in my chest. My eyes began to well up with tears because in a moment when I felt alone, in a moment where I felt overlooked and overwhelmed, this guy saw me. This guy made room for me. And I was speechless in the midst of it all. But thankfully, he kept talking. And he said, Brandon, I wanna make an investment into your life. And I wanna give you my Bible. And then Danny handed me this Bible with his name written on the front of it. And you know, this Bible has been my Bible from that day until this day. Because it is a reminder to me that whatever we have to invest in the next generation, it matters. However big or small, it matters. Because Danny took five minutes to speak to a broken 12-year-old kid who just needed to be seen, who needed to, be, who needed to know that I was worth somebody's prayers. And without that five-minute discussion, I don't know if I would be on this platform speaking to you today. It took five minutes and a few words and one gift to change my, the trajectory of my life forever. So my question to you is, what do you have to give to the next generation? What gifts can you give? What risks can you take on them? 
What opportunities can you afford them? What time can you give over to them? Because I am convinced that no matter what we have to give to the next generation, if we offer it willingly with our whole heart to invest in them, it will not go bad. And so as we close things out in this series and in this message today, what I hope you get out of it is not, not only that you have something to offer the next generation, but that the next generation needs you to offer it to them. They are waiting to be seen. They are waiting to be believed in. They are waiting for someone to step into their life and saying, I'm not gonna go anywhere through thick and thin. I'm gonna walk alongside of you and we're gonna figure this out together. And I believe that all of us can do that. All of us can remember the next generation by praying for them. All of us can make more room in our heart to notice young people in our life and pray for them more often. All of us can empower the next generation by finding young people who just need a little bit of guidance, a little bit of help, and doing our best to stick with them through thick and through thin, empowering them a little along the way. And I believe that all of us can invest in the next generation with whatever we have, whatever gifts we have, whatever time we're willing to give up, whatever resources we can, whatever risks we can take on them. And I believe that when we do those things and we're faithful with them, God is able to take our efforts and he, not us, but he is able to rise up a generation that is equipped and ready to win. And so friends, today the question is not just only how will we help the next gen win? The question is truly, will we? Will we take what God has given us and will we freely, with our whole heart, give it to the next generation so that they might win? Well, with that, at all of our campuses, let's take a moment and pray for the next generation. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for faithfulness and courage on both sides of the timeline today. God, for young people in the next generation, God, I pray that they would have the courage to remain faithful, that God, they would find you worth it, they would stick close to you, that they would do the best in whatever they are given right now in this moment. But God, I also pray that they wouldn't do it alone, that people from previous generations would come alongside of them and empower them and remember them and invest in them, that we would have the courage to, to get over the, the awkwardness of, of helping the next generation and just go for it with our whole hearts, recognizing that we wouldn't be where we are today for the most part without someone doing that for us or us wanting someone to do that for us. So God, give us the courage to do that today. Give us the willingness to do it. God, most of all, we ask that you would rise up the generations to come in the future, to be people who are ready to serve you, ready to go out into the world and into culture, represent you well, and that we would see in the coming years a new generation equipped and ready to win. So God, we trust you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Be here. It's gonna be a good one.